Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment, and place them in the official pop pantheon. Ladies and... Other ladies, welcome back to episode three of Pop Pantheon. I am so excited to be back with you again this week for our third episode, just chugging right along. I hope you enjoyed our episode last week on underrated pop queen Sierra and spent some time going back and listening to some of the great music that Sierra has given us because there is so much and I was so happy to get to like put the spotlight on her for a second because she deserves baby and uh, that's part of what this podcast is all about. I want to take a moment up top here to say if you have it in your heart, if you have the emotional space to share, please go on to Apple Podcasts, rate, subscribe, and leave me a review. Uh, as I was mentioning last week, I'd love to hear from everybody about like who you'd want to see on the podcast. I got a great suggestion from someone asking if we could do a all-American Idol episode, which sounds so much fun to sort of go through them all and like rank each of the sort of successful American Idol stars in the Pantheon tiers, which seems like a great concept. So you guys have so many good ideas and I just want to hear more. So like, who do we, who do we need to hit? Who do we want to hit on? I want to get every single pop person ever to have their own episode at some point on this podcast. So um, leave me a comment and also please follow us on pop pantheon pod on Instagram and Twitter. And that's where like all of the latest updates will be. And where you can see any sort of extra podcast material. Like there's a great graphic on there that describes all the Pop Pantheon tiers. So follow us there. Before we get into it again this week, I, you know, struggle every week to sort of be like, should I run down the pan- the Pantheon tiers again in like super detail? Well, I'm going to. But if you're new to the podcast this week, there is a mini-sode in this feed that goes into depth about all the Pantheon tiers and the different uh, criteria I'm sort of thinking about for each one. And so if that is of interest, you can certainly go back and hit play on that mini-sode. However, I just want to clarify that it's not an extra credit credit assignment, but like you can, if you just feel like that's something you want to do, you can totally go listen to our mini-sode called... Uh, what exactly is the Pop Pantheon, and it's in this feed. But just for the rundown again, before we get into the conversation, we have five tiers. The icons, the pillars of the tier one, this is the pillars of the the genre, the most sort of like 
emblematic pop musicians of all time. You have tier two, which are the megastars. These are like just one slot below them. They're still humongous, majorly successful, multi-decade superstars, but they are just maybe one smidge below being like a pillar of the genre. You have tier three, which are the mere superstars who are currently having a big moment or who only had one big moment. It was maybe multiple albums, but it was contained to a period of maybe eight years and it was never sort of extended beyond that. Or they're just currently still in that first eight year stretch. Then you have tier four, which are kind of working class pop stars, either pop stars that are always around, um, like Demi uh, Lovato, who just put an album out this week, sort of always having minorly successful records and songs, but never really having a culturally saturating moment. Or maybe you just had one big album uh, and then that was kind of it. So it was a very, very short-lived period of cultural relevance. And then tier five, which is the most germane to our topic today, which is kind of everybody else. And you'll see in our conversation how that breaks down in more detail, but it's essentially everyone from one hit wonders to no hit wonders or people that had a lot of buzz and never had a hit and also niche legends most pertinently to our conversation today. So people that are not necessarily part of the mainstream pop conversation, but have a huge dedicated cult following that gives them a life outside of the Hot 100. So that's the Pantheon. Again, please, if there's if that was a very, 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 very quick overview, you can totally go back and listen to the mini-sode or check out the graphic on Pop Pantheon Pod for more. So that's kind of the deal, guys. I'm so excited to get into this week's topic with an amazing guest. So without further ado, let's get into it about one of my all-time favorite pop girls, Miss Queen of Everything, Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly Rae Jepsen is a bit of a pop enigma, a master creator of pure pop gems, but one with an audience that looks a lot more like an indie band than it does a pop star. After finishing third on Canadian Idol and making nary a ripple with her independently released debut in 2008, Carly shot into the stratosphere seemingly out of nowhere in 2012 with the release of one of the biggest songs ever, Call Me Maybe. became a true left field success story for numerous reasons. One was the slew of memes of celebs like Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez lip syncing to it, which helped bring attention to the song and solidified the internet's then burgeoning ability to organically produce smash hit songs. But it also caught on purely and simply by being one of the best pop songs ever produced. And it has the numbers to prove it. Maybe clocked nine weeks at number one on the Hot 100, was nominated for Song of the Year at the Grammys, and became the biggest selling single of the century by a female artist. After scoring a deal with Bieber's manager, Jepsen quickly followed Maybe with her second record, Kiss, a maximalist EDM-leaning Fantasia, which mined the dance floor-oriented pop sound du jour, which was then dominated by Lady Gaga and Katy Perry. Kiss felt custom-made to capitalize on Maybe's formula of floor-filler beats paired with bright, taut, sugar-sweet pop songwriting that most often centered around the rush of falling in love. With Kiss, Jepsen's superstardom seemed all but warranted and assured. But while the album was embraced by a small cult following, Kiss failed mightily to produce a hit that even whiffed at maybe seismic success. 
Three years later, Jepsen emerged with her third album, Emotion, an 80s pop homage that completely rejiggered Jepsen's stature in the pop universe. While the album didn't produce commercially successful singles, it was widely embraced by critics as one of the 2010's best pop albums. The record was filled with perfectly constructed bangers inspired by the work of 80s legends like Cyndi Lauper, Pat Benatar, and Madonna, all written by Jepsen herself. Emotion gave Carly's career a second life, not because it moved millions of units, but by turning Carly, one of the great pure pop songmakers of her generation, into, weirdly enough, an indie darling. And Carly's left-of-center success with Emotion ended up being prescient, paving the way for a new brand of pop star who, in the wake of hip-hop's takeover of the charts in the latter part of the 2010s, were relegated from centrist radio dominators to niche artists. These niche pop stars are now Legion, Charlie XCX, Kim Petras, Rina Sawayama, pop stars who aren't that widely, well, popular, but are adored by and sustain careers on the backs of a small, rabid group of fans who feel let in on an underrated secret. More recently, Jepsen released her third album, Dedicated, in 2019, along with Dedicated Side B in 2020. Here to talk with me today about Jepsen's music, career, and position in the pop pantheon is none other than legendary podcaster, host of Who Weekly, and my fellow Jep friend, Lindsay Weber. Here's that conversation. All right, baby, I'm here with Lindsay Weber, host of Who Weekly, podcast extraordinaire. And Jet Friend. And certified Jet, <laughs> and jet friend, friend, of course. <laughs> um, Lindsay actually flew all the way to Canada to see Carly perform with a symphony orchestra. That's truly the pedigree that I have <laughs> in terms of knowing, in terms of being a Jet Friend. I flew to see her play with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, and it was incredible. And actually, we'll, we'll obviously get to this, but in terms of Carly's performance and like how Carly works as a performer on stage, it was her best for me one of her best setups because she was really able to be her and not have to run around the stage the whole time, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Who who were the fans at that show? I mean, just Canadian like, stands, like just Canadian. Like gay, like Canadian yeah, gays. Like, it was really a lot of, it was not just like gays. Like it was like, because it was this experience of seeing the symphony orchestra, it really involved, I think there was a, a broader range of people too. There were people who I could tell had um, series tickets. They see everything at the orchestra, you know? They just love, they just love oh. the symphony orchestra, right? And there, so it was more of a, you know, and there was no, it, we were sitting down, there was no dancing, you know? People stood up sometimes, but it wasn't the same type of crowd. And I've, I've seen Carly now four times total, maybe five times total. Oh my God, so much. And it was a very we went together new version. If you we did great show, great show. And I was incredibly jealous that you got to do that because well, I certainly feel like that was probably a once in a lifetime opportunity to see Carly with a symphony. Well, I wouldn't. From what I hear, my sources say. Well, I don't know. She could do it again. It was a great success. It sold out. It was three nights or something, and it sold out each night. So I wouldn't put it past her to do it again. I think she has more music now. She can right, do it with. Right, right, you know? right, right. Totally. 
All right, so just to get started here, I kind of want to get into, I find it sort of helpful on these episodes to kind of go chronologically somewhat, so I guess I want to start by going into like... Do you want me to tell you... The origin. Do you want me to start with like where, how I first heard about Carly, like my origin story with Carly before we like talk about her career? <laughs> I mean, I was going in a different direction, but if that's an interesting story, well, I'd love to hear it. just before we get into like her first album, because her first album actually came before yeah. I heard of her so I didn't know about her when her first album came out actually didn't know about her when her second album came out uh what are you like saying that you missed call me maybe or something no I missed her first acoustic album oh which I you're talking about tug yeah, of war yeah and I and yeah sorry tug of war is not canon it's not canon it's a fully different Carly it's a it she was like Joni Mitchell back then she was acoustic Carly yeah um yeah I obviously came across her at the same time that wait, everyone wait, else Wait, 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 wait. Just a moment to acknowledge that you're sitting here apologizing for missing an album that literally the entire world missed. I know, but now, but I don't want to be, I don't want to front like this old school fan when I did find out about her at the same time oh, as everyone else did. No. The masses found out about her from essentially, and not going to lie, from Justin Bieber essentially, because Call Me Maybe was a Justin Bieber marketing machine. Gotta say, Lindsay, <laughs> while we do appreciate honesty here on Pop Pantheon, I don't think any Anybody here is holding you to account True. for missing Carly Rae's well, 4,000 unit selling some Canadian, acoustic self-released album. Some Canadian. Whatever. I mean, either way, she was out there in the world doing stuff. She was out there in the world writing songs. And I did not know about her until Call Me Maybe like everybody else. And it's so funny thinking about that time I was working at BuzzFeed. And I remember when it came out. And it fully was like a meme. It was like a one-hit wonder meme thing, whatever. You could tell it was a one-hit wonder before you even knew if she would have a follow-up. You know what I mean? It felt so... Well, where did you hear it first? Do you remember actually where it was? Probably off Tumblr. Probably. No. Because mm. what happened was, which is so fascinating about her, is the reason why everybody really listened to it first was because Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez, who were dating at the time, made a lip sync video to it. And it was shit. Right. And like other celebrities too, right? They're friends. Not really. It was like their friends. It was, oh, Ashley Tisdale was in it too. It was like all their friends and they were singing right. and it was so catchy and they put that out and it worked, which is crazy. Right. A group of my friends who were on Tumblr, we were all like Tumblr friends at the time, saw it and we made our own lip sync video to it. And that's how earnest, yes, no. yes, you will never find it. It is hidden. What? But, yeah, it's. No, what? You're not going to let me hear no, it? No, absolutely not. It's so embarrassing. But upon my death, you will hear it. But the point, or see it. <laughs> because we didn't sing it was lip sync but like that was how earnest the song was for the love of the song that's what I remember mm. like it was f fun to do that stuff and I remember we were like in Mystic Connecticut on the beach someone has a house there and we were hanging out and we taped our some sort of lips and we put it up and it was so fun and our friends from Tumblr all submitted stuff and it was such an earnest love for that song and Everyone loved that song. It really, I don't remember anyone being like, it's old, get over it. It really last, lasted. Right, right. Would you say that this is an early example of a song blowing up because of like a meme? Because like, I don't know if I'd call the Justin Bieber video a meme per se, but I guess it kind of was. Like, like, is that, do you think that that's kind of like an early example of right. a meme creating a song? I think so, because it wasn't like the song was a meme. Meme is like kind of means everything now and also means nothing. It's kind of a ruined word, but, right. but the meme of like, call me maybe like like hey i just met you like that that literally the chorus as like a a stanza became a meme in a way where people would would replicate it with different with different words they would say it out of context do you know what i mean everyone knew what you were talking about so it really kind of was a, the did get kind of memed in, in a way yeah well i i i guess like part of what i want to get into now with you is like call me maybe as a phenomenon 
I guess first I want to unpack like what is it about that song that is so special? God. You know, Call Me Maybe explodes, I guess somewhat organically as a meme on the internet to the point where Lindsay and her friends are making videos to it and so is the rest of the world including Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez as we talked about. And then quickly we follow up with the debut album Kiss and it's filled with similar representations of the same formula as Call Me Maybe and also is a great reflection of the fact that Carly Rae Jepsen is a great pop songwriter who can write a lot of similar songs to Call Me Maybe, which you would think would be a formula for continued success. And yet, Call Me Maybe becomes an anomaly in that first Carly era or whatever, her attempt at being a mainstream pop star era of Kiss, that first record, as the only song on that album that really becomes a hit. So why is Carl, Call Me Maybe, I guess, special as a song and special within the Carly discography oeuvre um, as her only major hit. Well, I mean, I'm not like the person to break down the songwriting of it, but it's got multiple points at, at, in which it's catchy. It's literally an earworm in like the truest sense of an earworm, you know? Okay, yes, that's obviously true. It is an earworm, but why, Lindsay? Why is it an earworm? That's what I'm trying to get. Why is it the earworm? There's a sing a sing along ability of it that is unique. Right. Carly has a nice voice, but I wouldn't say Carly is a vocalist in the sense of she's she's a she's got a great voice. She's a great singer, but I don't I wouldn't call her like a vocalist in the next level sense, right? In the way where if you no. hear her speak, her speaking voice actually sounds a lot like her singing voice, which I always think of that's like the number one reason you know that somebody's not uh -huh. an incredible singer because in my mind, when somebody's speaking voice is very different than their singing voice, they're a singer. You're a singer, you know? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. But Carly yeah. speaks in a similar way that she sings. She's always on tone. She's always on tone. She's She's got great she, – I'm not saying she's a bad singer. That com comes out mean. I'm just saying, like, she hits the notes. She's an incredible songwriter. The girl can write a chorus like no one, you know, and she works well with people too. But, but I will say that song is – compelling in its way where anyone can sing it and that maybe is the bonus of right. why Carly's voice works so well with the song you know yes totally that is such a good point I really do think that there's something that you're getting at here which has to do with like Carly's like eminent relatability or accessibility in terms of like she's everyone she's a normie that's part of her appeal true and that is also part of Call Me Maybe's magic so that's a really good right. point like the sing-along ability and this sort of like unchallenging ability to sing that song like makes it accessible to so many people but I guess my thing I'm grappling with with this question is just sort of this idea that like Carly loves writing about the theme of the rush of falling in love she's done it a million times and yeah. she's done it a million times really really That's well in songs theme. that I think you and I would both agree maybe we like better than call me maybe and that are even better pop songs than call me maybe or at least equally as good so why is it only call me maybe that she's been able to have that level of success with I mean it's hard because it's like you hear you hear so many songs that are good that are not hits that sound just like songs that are hits and it's a matter of almost it's almost like there's a system behind there choosing which songs are hits or not and I would it's a little nefarious like the music industry it's I mean not yeah all, but she like, had that systemic are... you know support I mean just to refresh right at that time just to reflect like she had, she had Justin she was signed to the same manager as Justin B the whole system was set up and when you go and listen to Kiss you her her debut album that sort of quickly followed Call Me Maybe you know you probably got the sense that 
that they were like, holy fuck, they had no idea the song was going to be this big. They needed to throw out an album as fast as they could. There's a lot of records on that, uh, on Kiss that are reflective of the same vibe of Call Me Maybe. They have kind of like a mix of acoustic sounds and a big EDM beat with a sweet, that same sort of like, oh my God, like we're two teens. Like she has almost like a very, like a 16 year old's perspective on falling in love that she kind of captures over and over and over again. My point here is that, especially on that first record, Carly remade uh, Call Me Maybe a number of times, which is a formula that worked for so many pop stars at that time. Lady Gaga's Just Dance and Poker Face and Love Game all fit a similar theme. All the Kesha songs do. But yet Carly really only was able to get that one song off the ground, despite all the other songs being equally as worthy. So in a way, Call Me Maybe is kind of a fluke, but it is also an incredible song. Right. So that's what kind of we're saying. And it, and it does have moments of like, like I was just thinking about the build, you know, the final build of the chorus, the like final. Yeah, bad. Yeah. Bad, bad, <laughs> yeah, right. bad. That, and if you see, there are videos out there where it's like she wrote it acoustically with this guy and acoustically the song is like, right. it's fine. It's okay. Where you think you're going, baby? Hey, I just met you. The production is where the song kind of mm. turns into this monster. Yeah. The dun 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 dun. The right. String. I think it's. I think it's all. Yeah. That it's like it's the acoustic mixed with the EDM sound, and then it's the um, it's like the 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 syncopation of the chords, which is like yeah, boom. Yes. I just yes. met you. String yeah. string string, and this yeah. is crazy. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. Yeah. And maybe that's the influence of the EDM sound at that time where no one cared about production that sounded insane like that. That production sounds insane, you know? True, but, you know, I was actually thinking about that era and I was like, okay, here you have Carly, she releases Kiss. There's so many potential songs that you think could be hits like Call Me Maybe and they're not. And then I was thinking about someone like Kesha who emerged at a similar time doing a similar sort of gag where like you had the first Kesha breakout song, TikTok, and then she like repeated that song over and over again to great success. And then you've got Carly doing her version of the same thing where she like had her first hit and she's basically repeating the formula very, very cannily uh, over and over again. And she's not experiencing that same continued success. Here's the thing, though, with, like, Kesha compared to Carly, though, is, like, Kesha has a look. Kesha has a vibe. Kesha has a unique thing. Right. Kesha has a specific aesthetic that was new and interesting and weird. Carly, while I think she is great, and I'm obviously a stan, she's not very compelling. And I've seen the girl five times in concert or whatever, and every single time I'm like... (laughs) 
I'm dancing with the people around me and loving live music, but I am never, ever, sorry, watching Carly on stage. She is... Are you suggesting that she lacks star quality? She lacks a little bit of oomph, and I think actually that has a lot to do with the fact that she's a genuinely good songwriter, and that is what she likes the most. And she can perform her songs, but half the time you see her, she's running laps around the stage just to keep up with the momentum of the crowd, which is huge. But I think a lot of Carly Rae Jepsen concerts are just so people can come together and dance with each other because the music is bringing them together as a community versus I gotta see this girl live I gotta see her her she's amazing dancer oh my god you know she's just not she's just not like Kesha was like out the gate with like you know a very fun and kooky aesthetic that everybody was like who is this girl you know and Carly Carly was more behind the scenes in that the song really spoke for itself and the song actually maybe overshadowed her. Right, exactly. Okay, so this is like a root of the problem, which is that no matter how many times she can create a good pop song, at the end of the day, she's kind of not really a great traditional pop star. It's like, as you were saying, her live performances are somewhat lackluster. Her music videos are never super compelling. And just sort of as like a pop star (laughs) entity, she's not really like this massive personality vortex that like a music career can center around in the way that like, okay, you have someone like Taylor Swift being someone who makes similar music in many ways to Carly, pure pop, expertly written from the perspective of teenagers often, but like is such a central figure as a pop star and compelling in that way. Taylor is a personality who, for better or for worse, let's say for worse, sorry, my take. Your take, not my take, but at the same time, I agree that like the joy of listening to Taylor is about being in the vortex of her personality as reflected through her music, whereas Carly's relatable anonymity is both her gift as a pop singer and songwriter and her curse as a pop star. It's music first. It's music first for Carly. And I think actually she wouldn't argue with that. And I think that might actually make her life better in the long run. But that's another argument. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's how I want to end the kind of conversation around the emergence of Carly with you, which is that like is having your first song be an explosive huge hit the biggest curse in pop music yes it's a curse no it's a hundred percent a curse there was no song that could match call me maybe in terms of its success like she think of the think of what would have had to happen she would have had to have call me maybe then you know uh all I want for Christmas is you I mean there just there is no fucking way she would have had to have a song that was as potent and that just was not going to happen. Yeah, except that Mariah Carey is an example of somebody that was able to come out from under a number of massive hits and have many more massive hits. But I would argue that maybe a massive, that Carly's song was more massive than some of these people who are more bigger than her who release big songs of their, do you know what I mean? Like Call Me Maybe is an anomaly even compared to other big artists big hits. Yes, 100% accurate. And I also think it's a product of the internet age because like someone like Carly Rae Jepsen, that song exploded somewhat organically. Whereas um, a song like Vision of Love or any of Mariah's songs, that was all gestated at a label that developed her and was prepared to capitalize on the success of Vision of Love due to like years of grooming and preparedness. That's how the music business used to work. Whereas now in the internet age, songs explode. They become viral hits out of nowhere with artists that are like Mm -hmm. sometimes unsigned and very much unprepared to capitalize on that success. Like I think about Lil Nas X recently who has taken a very long time to figure out how to like have more hit music after 
Old Town Road became like this huge hit out of nowhere. He was unsigned. He was like on the internet and like similar to Carly, it was like, okay, like how do we like build off the momentum of this hit? But at the same time, like we don't have an artist that's like fully defined yet. And I think in some ways Carly suffered from that same thing and it's a generational internet era sort of deal. There's, there's a vibe of, there's a vibe of like, if you come from quote unquote out of nowhere, it's almost worse too, because there is the machine is not as far is behind you immediately and you're right like there's not enough planning time to get the next song out Lil Nas X did have actually like a surprisingly successful follow-up song to that Panini which was like not as big obviously but did like exist on its own and had a moment right although I guess to your point like it doesn't seem as big because even though it was wait like Carly had the Owl City song as well that came after it that was like a minor hit but it just seems like nothing because everything gets crushed in the wake of Call Me Maybe's massive thing about what's interesting about the Owl City song is part of me thinks that Carly would be more successful in getting songs on charts which if that's like to find success I don't do it like that way but but she would be more successful if she was in a band I kind of think like if she was Haley Williams like a I was literally gonna say Paramore if if Carly was positioned as Paramore you know, just put a band of hot guys behind her or hot girls or whatever and let's go. I think she actually would be overall more successful, but because I think there's so much pressure to be a pop star when you're literally a, a solo female artist, pop star, pop star, pop star, especially when you're making pop music, that she's not able to live up to the bigness of that role if you surround her by other pop stars. Totally. Then that's like, so true. Because like, yeah, even yeah, yeah. like, that's very true. you know. Yeah, and it's apparent how out of place she is amongst oh, these yeah. sort of like titanic pop personas compete, like a Rihanna, you know, like, like a Taylor. It's like she doesn't fit in with them at all. And it's like, nor maybe would she want to, like maybe Call Me Maybe positioned her wrong as a massive hit it, she was always meant to be something smaller. I think about this with Lord. Like, Lord had a massive viral breakthrough hit, you know, different sounding than Call Me Maybe, but similar in terms of sort of a rising out of nowhere. And then it's sort of like, has Lord suffered in retrospect just by like being positioned as a mainstream pop star when she doesn't really need to or want to be? Yes, but Lord is weird in the way that Kesh is weird, in that Lord has, Lord's a great weird performer very specific lord although didn't you uh, didn't well, you iconically let's hate not get lord's into that. Show. that was a stadium show. first of all that was the sta- <laughs> that was the venue's fault that was a whole other thing i've seen lord a few times in different size venues and she's a great performer i just yeah. didn't think that stage show was like good for her and for everyone else there that's right. my point but i do think like lord is compelling and weird she's from new zealand she's got long hair she's got a different look she's got a great personality she's befriending taylor swift she's befriending all these pop stars they love her you know i think that's different carly still lives on this island who's friends with carly bieber's not even friends with carly right yet another super important point which is that like carly is so uncelebrity and willing to play that celebrity game in the way that pop that's stars what i'm saying like she's not out here but that's like she's not out here like hobnobbing with like the other pop stars to kind of create these like forward-facing fake bonds like Taylor Swift does, right? Like, oh, my best or friend. Or perhaps even more important, dating or famous Or dating people. famous people. Yeah, or dating famous people. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but just walk with me here for a second just to wrap this segment up on, on the Kiss era. So it's like, I feel like I think about this so much with Carly. It's like prior to Robin and like... 
create, well, I guess like in that body talk era, like creating sort of a lane for pure pop music to exist that was outside of the mainstream, sort of like this combination of being an indie artist and making pure pop music, something that sort of had never been touched before. Um, you were either Madonna, you were Janet, you were Britney, or you were sort of a f- no one, nowhere sort of flop. And I sort of think about this so much with Carly, and I think it's the dichotomy of Carly's career, which is that like she's making the most uncomplicated, straightforward, pure pop music and yet it registers or her career has like ended up registering as niche and that's going to bring us into the next era of emotion. But in a way it is avant-garde because what I think the comparison between these time periods you're setting up is like look what's on the charts like as soon as like hip-hop rap music became kind of what was on the charts pop music became let you them be niche we still had our pop stars obviously putting out pop hits and but as soon as the genre changed, this like pure pop wasn't like in vogue anymore. Like Katy Perry is out the door or whatever, and it let right. these, it right. let that genre have Robin. Let let them have that. And also, dance music has always been able to be niche in that way. You have these like dance artists who mostly work off of like live touring and like you know kind of shows like that and they're always they've always been doing kind of essentially pop music but it's for dance and Carly kind of fell into that hole okay so I want to take a minute and sort of position us again so basically we have Kiss which is very much of the moment both in terms of the sound of music of that time and of a piece with her massive breakthrough hit call me maybe um, does it have the vibe of something that was put out and thrown together quickly to capitalize on Call Me Maybe success? Yes, it does. Um, and I guess the point of everything we're saying here, whether it be because she's not really a typical pop star, et cetera, et cetera, she's not a vortex personality, that kind of thing, it just doesn't deliver on anything nearly yeah, totally. uh, approximating mainstream superstardom. Um, then she pulls back for three years she performs in Cinderella on Broadway as I recall and she starts to conceptualize and record her second album Emotion which is an 80s pop homage or becomes an an 80s pop homage inspired by Cyndi Lauper inspired by Madonna inspired by that kind of interesting part about emotion is that it once again feels as though she's being positioned to be a centrist pop star. The biggest record of the year before is Taylor Swift's 1989, another major pop album that is paying homage to the same era and shares many sounds that are similar to emotion. But it once again does not connect in that way. The single I Really Like You, I think has a top 40 debut based on just like a celeb stunt music video with Tom Hanks, but never goes anywhere. And that's sort of it. And you're like, wow, another very well-executed, perfect pop album from Carly that seems super well-positioned for the moment and that utilizes her talents as a pop songwriter to great effect that's going nowhere. But instead of sort of the just straight up pop flop that like Kiss maybe 
felt like after Call Me Maybe. Instead, by sheer force of will or by who she collaborated with or by how they sort of create PR around this album. And just to highlight, like, part of those collaborators and that PR was that she... Um, worked with producers that with a lot of indie cred like Deb Hines, Ariel Reichstadt, who produced Heim, um, Rostam from Vampire Weekend. These were like indie cred artists. Or I guess just by like the massive and resounding critical embrace of emotion. Carly completely repositions herself as an indie niche artist who makes pure pop, a strange concept, but something that ends up working really, really well for her and reinvigorating her career in a completely different realm than one might have thought following Call Me Maybe. She becomes something that people, that's cool to like, that people are in the know about, that's like almost like a great secret that like, cool. it's cool to be into, right. it's cool to like her music. And not to mention yeah. that like as hip hop in this mid uh, mid-teens era is becoming sort of the center of pop music it's indie success let's say or it's unmainstream audience that it finds sort of foretells a whole new ecosystem that again i mentioned was sort of began by robin but really codified by carly and emotions indie embrace of pure pop artists who are received as indie artists who are received as niche who are making pure pop music that would have at another time been centrist pop smash chart number one blah, 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 and is now received and appreciated by a small, dedicated niche fan base that scans more as an indie vibe in terms of fandom than we've ever experienced with pure pop music before. So I want to talk to you about that ecosystem. Like, what is that about? How does how does that system operate? I do think that has a lot to do with, one, poptimism, kind of that being a thing that was like a big trend at this time where like people would look at stuff and say like, you know, Call Me Maybe is like a genius song and here's why. It's not just this like catchy crap. It's like that poptimism sense that where critics are coming from right like I love these things and I know that they're not you know high-minded they're actually low-minded right, just to quickly perfect. position that for people that don't know poptimism is a school of thought in which the major musical criticism community decided to yes. take pop as seriously as the genres they did other genres and not just frivolous commercial Definitely. and I also think this has a lot to do with like the gatekeeping of the record industry meaning like the idea that it really is difficult to break in even when you've already broke out like it's true like Carly found this niche place because maybe her record label was trying to shove I really like you down our throats but when that didn't catch because it's really not authentic in any way Carly's other music on this album which is kind of a miracle because she really you can tell like I really like you is the song that they push but all these other songs are not doing that they're not pandering in that way they're not pandering in the hey i just met you way i really like you is kind of hey i just let hey i just met you but the rest isn't right and again for our audience's edification here I really like you as the first single off of Emotion and is a moment where they clearly try to kind of like recapture or call me maybe success in a way that sounds like out of place on the rest of the album, which has like so much integrity. Right, so it's like unlike yes. the sort of like... Yes. Um, yes. the the pop, the sort of like perfect pop 80s homage of the rest of the album that like led to its commercial, I mean, to its critical embrace. Like this song really feels like they're trying to like pummel you over the head with its catchiness to make Call Me Maybe It's kind two. of baffling 
what they chose to do with this album, but nonetheless, I think it found its audience, which is kind of the magic of emotion. I also think that like this album too, it's like, it's very much like a community claimed Carly as their own within this album. And then she became this underdog that like belonged to the gay community. Like she's ours, (laughs) even though Carly is a straight woman. Like it's fine. Obviously I love it. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's, what's so interesting about sort of like the ecosystem that emotion created, which is that like it became sort of like an integral part of her celebrity, her pop stardom or her like not pop stardom to sort of like celebrate her as a flop. Like it felt as if like her failure as a commercial artist actually like gave her career like power. Like it gave, gave her fans something to celebrate, something to like feel part of that was like an underdog story that was like defending our sort of like underappreciated queen. And now that's like every pop star because even after emo- uh, after emotion, like even the pop stars that had been big before as hip hop again, like became the center of pop music, like they all became also less commercially successful. So people feel that way about Katy Perry now and Kesha well, and all but, of Well, you them. know, they tried hand over foot desperately to grasp on. Katy Perry put Migos in her song. Carrie, Katy Perry, they were desperate to try and get their songs to sound like what would be on the radio and they couldn't. But I, what I love about Carly is she didn't do any of that. She remained true to what she was trying to do. Right, here. which is such an important point. Like, emotion feels in its pure popdom, despite the fact that that might not have even really I don't know. Maybe that was in the moment it came out. It was the moment that that this kind of music really became less of a centrist thing. Like she really stuck to what is her gift as a making maker of pure pop music, and also like this perfect crystalline '80s sound she had landed on on the rest of the album. Be tormented by me, babe. Wonder, wonder how I do. How's the weather? Am I better? Better now that there's no you. Drink tequila for me, babe. Let it hit you cold and hot. Let your feelings be revealing that you can't forget me. Not a flower on the wall. I am growing ten feet, ten feet tall. In your head and I'm Okay, so Carly makes this perfect pop album that's a critical, you know, massively critical, critically embraced and all the things we've said so far. Do you think that like, given we're coming on the heels of 1989, given that we're coming on the heels of like, at least her having had this huge smash single in the past, like, do you think she went into emotion thinking she was going to be a superstar? Or do you kind of think that she like her plan was to be more niche all along at that point? I think Carly didn't quite know what she was in for in terms of the community that she was wrapping around her, but didn't care. Right. And I think that Carly, from what I get a sense of what I know about her, which is honestly not a lot, she's like, again, like her personality is not big. I do think that she's like a relatively, she's Canadian, so she's a relatively humble person. And I think that she went into this not being like, I'm going to make... Justin Bieber is also Canadian, okay, true, just to be clear, but like, so I'm not sure you're right, that he's tracks. kind of the exception to the rule. So are a lot of, I know. And Drake, Drake is also That's Canadian. True. But I, I... Actually, Canada, Canada is low-key, like, the center of, like, a lot of pop That's narratives true. in the in But I do think era. that she's kind of more of a quiet soul. She's got that, like, I'm shy thing going yeah. on a little bit. When you see her perform, there's no alter ego. It's just her. There's no, no alter ego. No. And I and I agree. It's it's it I, I I remember being with you 
at the dedicated tour and we and having we a similar like, reaction, oh. which was just like if she even if if there was a DJ on stage playing the songs, it would have been like an But I think that's the magic. Experience. She can tour on these songs forever. There will always be an audience for them, no matter I mean, maybe she can't play stadiums, but she'll always be able to fill a room, a big room with people who want to hear this music in a live setting with others around them yeah that's and is she is carly the ultimate beloved flop artist like is she the one when we talk about flops in the affectionate way beloved flop artist i mean she kind of has the she kind of does fill that role and and i will say like it's not even because of who she is there's a lot of artists who are who also fill this role, but she has so many good songs that you could call underrated. I mean, are you kidding? Has, underrated is the whole Carly project. Whole, she is the underrated queen. But like, call me maybe is rated. And people got it. You know, right, 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 right. But everything else, no, call me maybe fully is rated. underrated. Fully rated, maybe overrated. That's what I'm saying. So maybe call me ready. Call me maybe is overrated. But everything else, no. I mean, I, I guess I just am saying like I feel sorry for people whose only Carly experience is call me maybe, which is almost everybody. Just like the fact that she just threw out again, cut to the feeling. Cut to the Feeling had was not on anything. It had no album placement. It was some rando song she wrote for some rando movie. And it is one of her best songs. I know. It's so like, frustrating. It's like if Taylor Swift put out Cut to the Feeling, oh it would have been the God, biggest song wishes. of all time. Like this is the frustration slash curse slash gift of being a Carly fan. Right. And this is just something also that I want to like position the audience on again, which is that Cut to the Feeling, which is a random song she recorded for Emotion and like didn't put on it. One of like many brilliant songs on it that she just happened to throw out randomly and just happened to be one of her best. In in twenty in twenty fifteen when emotion flopped, Carly was this un, was somewhat anomalous in that she was making centrist pop, but she was operating like a niche indie artist. That was kind of like a new mold. Now, that's kind of what they, they all, all do are it. doing they in a all certain do way, it. right? Like, so what is like is is what is the path to I kind being of like don't, a centrist mainstream I pop don't star think in twenty twenty one? Carly is like a pop star in that sense of the word. She's an artist making pop music. Right. She's a pop singer. She's a pop right. songwriter. But I don't right. think she's like a pop star. And to that point, how do no, you become a pop right. star? I mean, Cardi B is a pop star. You need the machine behind you. You right. need the aesthetics. You need the attention. Carly is not getting headlines. No one gives a shit about Carly in the Daily Mail. Which honestly. <laughs> that is amazing, and I would say that is the ideal uh, thing. Robin, people would die for Robin's music, but no one gives a shit about, or the Daily Mail isn't following Robin to the supermarket. We don't care who she's dating. We don't care about any of that. I mean, maybe right. I care because, like, I care about everything, but, like, people that's not a that's actually like a better aesthetic for a, a pop right artist right and an i just think that that's just music. like everybody now like being a pop music maker means being like carly now like when when you and i were in our prime listening moments like in the in the in the aughts and the early <laughs> 2010s there was a very clear route to pop stardom it was like everybody kind of followed the like madonna michael jackson path like there was this major label mm -hmm. system mm -hmm. you blew up you put out these huge era records with seven hit songs on them and music videos and the whole bit and it was all expensive and you went on your tour and blah blah blah, blah. that ecosystem has broken down so hardcore in this day and age with, with yeah. streaming and spotify yeah. and all that stuff where everybody you can 
curate your own special little world and, and you Carly don't was need ahead of that trend. Carly knew before anyone else. Maybe she was maybe she was a little bit pushed into the corner that way, but she went with it and kept making the music that she liked and luckily that music overlapped with the music that a lot of people do like and are willing to pay music to go see live to dance in the club too or whatever it's just not in a traditional sense uh, charting and also charting really doesn't mean anything money-wise for artists anymore is what you're kind of saying money-wise who gives a shit if you can sell a t-shirt or a hat it it's it means way right. more to you your livelihood than the other right. shit at this point i mean i have a podcast that works on patreon like i know it the most it's like niche communities will pay you if they love you and that's sometimes right. all you need right and i guess to carly's immense credit like post i really like you i feel like she stopped trying to have to be anything other than that and i think her embrace of that was extremely smart and influential and has like paid dividends for her because listen it's fun standing under standing underdogs like we get a kick out of it it's created a whole culture around her like that is unique and fun in some ways more than being a mainstream pop star like would we celebrate if cut to the feeling went number one yes but i also feel like sure would, but i would no still also be like, like i don't want sword. to be a mainstream pop star i want her to be hours okay wow rude do you want to like do you want to hear my favorite songs because this took me like so long to think about oh my god yes Lindsay. i want to hear all your favorite songs and i'm so glad that you put in your homework here and it's so hard i mean i guess i want to focus particularly on which is so funny because all of her songs are underrated but like what are carly's songs that are underrated oh, god it's so hard because they're all good and i think that there's no such thing as an underrated carly song in a way that everyone who likes her knows which songs are good like right 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 but I think from Dedicated, which we didn't even touch yet, I think Dedicated is a better album than I thought when it first came out. It grew on me so much. And like, again, just to position listeners, Dedicated is Carly's third album that she released after Emotion maybe two years ago or so. And Yeah, I think it got better with, I think it got better with time because Emotion was like immediately iconic and I think dedicated is better than I expected because want you in my room is incredible I think that's an incredible song okay I don't even love dedicated that much to be completely frank and that's like a sacrilege for a jet friend but want you in my room I mean top five Carly songs of all time we need to listen to it for a second All right, so I want to talk about positioning Carly in the Pantheon. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, I feel like it's not super debatable because... She kind of defines the tier that you've set up Yeah, for exactly. Like, in terms of tier five... Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay, the brain's on you. I, know. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I guess just to sort of, like, set the audience up here on the tier. So tier 5B is about being a niche legend, which essentially means that, like, you're somewhat outside of the mainstream conversation, but you are adored fanatically by a small uh, fan base. And I guess, like, that's been the gist of this entire conversation. So I guess the only thing that makes me sort of, like, question it for a second is that Carly Ray Jepsen literally had the biggest song of all time. But the thing is, so here's my quibble. Does that make it complicated? I don't see Carly as a one-hit wonder. In uh -huh. the way that you've set up these tiers. I think one hit wonder uh -huh. doesn't belong in this tier. Okay. I think a one hit wonder can literally have a one hit and then never make music again, uh -huh. basically. And that has happened. And Carly's music. Totally. It has. She has no, a one that, hit that, wonder. That, yeah, right. 
Right. But that's why I'm saying. I wouldn't so I say think Carly's a one-hit wonder. Kind of have to go elsewhere, right? Even though she kind of technically is one, or maybe one-hit right. wonder isn't the right phrasing for definition in your pantheon is my maybe my issue right except okay so like tier five is like supposed to be an all-encompassing tier that includes lots of different subcategories right so you have like your niche legends and then you also have your one-hit wonders and i guess like as we're sitting here talking about it it's like carly is pretty much like both of those things in the most emblematic sense so she's like almost the most emblematic tier five artist across different but the thing is not all not all one-hit wonders are niche legends, and not all niche legends have Agreed. Hits. So no, I think that's, that's like true. almost like it's like a Venn diagram in which like I almost need to separate them in my mind because while okay. Carly has both, most artists that you have in this don't have both. They have like one or the other. One or the mean? other. That's true. Maybe that's Robin true. is someone who has both as well. And and, and Charlie, uh, I think, is Charlie that has, has both. both. Troy does not. Wait, but I need to make list. something clear. It doesn't. These Criterion Five. These are subcategories in tier five. They're they're not necessarily needing to overlap. You can be in tier five and be a niche legend. You can be in tier five and be a one hit wonder. You don't have to be all of those things. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to make clear. Yeah. Like tier five is meant to sort of be a tier for people that for various reasons are not part of the mainstream conversation. And that can be for various different reasons as represented in the subcategories. Yeah. Okay, but moving on to the next question. Do you, Lindsay Weber, from where you're sitting right now, Bye. would you have to say that Call Me Maybe is Carly Rae Jepsen's signature song? It has to be, yes. Right, because I guess I'm wondering, like, could you it argue that, be. like, for those of us within the Jep Friend kingdom, like, other songs are more definitive for of us? Co- oh, sure. Yes. Those with, if, if you met a Jep Friend, a true Jep Friend, and they said, I really would love you to get into Carly Rae Jepsen, they would not play you. Is there another song that isn't Call Me Maybe that would be her signature song? I think run away with me, I run away with me and um, slash cut to the feeling cut to the feeling would be the two songs that I would present to someone as I think you'll really like Carly Rae Jepsen. Check these two out They're They they exemplify her as an artist right, right now. And if she and if she never blew up like this would those be, might the, yeah. the, those it might have been a different thing. Do you right. think Carly could launch non musical like brand extensions and anyone would care slash want them. Wait, like what? Like an acting career? What do you want from her? Like a product line, like a, like makeup or I don't know. <laughs> sure. Drag queens do it. Sure, of course. Yeah, definitely. If it was authentic to her brand, definitely. I will say I don't, I cannot think of an item, a product or something that would be authentic to Carly's brand in the way that merch works. What, like, would, you, what would you want to buy from Carly? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the merch uh, stuff, the merch stuff. That's what I'm saying is like, that's why she's so magic is because like, I don't really know her that well. And I don't really know, like if she made this like defining thing in her life or whatever, and we all knew, oh, Carly, she loves to knit. I'm just, this is just (laughs) stupid. So she's going to release a line of sweaters or something. (laughs) That's not stupid. But I do think that she doesn't really present that way to us. Like we don't really know a lot about her. So, but I do think that Carly Rae Jepsen merch is like a wink, wink, a nod, nod to like friends of the family that like want that, you that, you know, if you see someone wearing that store hat, you know, they have good taste, you know, a hundred you know they you love you know you'd love them so like right like wearing carly ray jepson merch is like the friend of dorothy slash like wink wink secret handshake of i the mean 21st uh, century. Uh, <laughs> okay so right okay so i guess that like we're in agreement more or less when it comes to the pantheon that like carly is as it's set up now like the tier five artist that we turn to to describe tier five right 
She's the emblematic tier five artist, although the only quibble I have is is confusing niche legends with one hand. Lindsay, they're separate sub tiers. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Oh, they are? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're 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 the tier five encompasses a couple of different okay, things. Okay, you need to draw this. Well, listen, good <laughs> news is that I did draw this and you can just go to our Instagram at Pop Pantheon Pod and see that Perfect. magnificent drawing. Okay, so but like just to keep us on track here, like Carly. Niche legend, tier five, not really debatable. I'm looking down the list on the other tiers. I don't see Carly being able to like launch a successful Vegas residency. I mean, I think that Carly will fill big rooms. I'll say big rooms because I don't really know like how big of rooms she'll she'll fill. She could tour for the rest of her life successfully mm-hmm. based on what she's kind of created. And whether or not she wants to do that is on her. <laughs> what would you like to see her do next? I think... I would love Carly just to put out music steadily. Like if she had an album mm. a year or she had an album and a B-sides every other year, kind of this one-two punch, which, what she's kind of known for now is this B-sides thing. If she was able to do that every two years, it would be amazing with a s- small tour in between. <laughs> I would love for Carly to sell some of her songs to uh, to bigger or other artists because I do think that would be cool for her that would be fun actually it's one thing to like keep the songs for yourself and go for it but i think she needs a little bit of the bonnie mckee where she's like let a few songs go and see how it goes she apparently records two thousand whatever songs per album so she has a lot that's what i'm saying she could look at charlie maybe charlie and carly could like learn from each other a little bit they could and also they should do a tour together also um yes is it gonna be weird when like our warped tour or like the, the tour that has like you know those tours that are like vintage nostalgia for like old people where it's like Eve Six and like Third Eye Blind and like Sugar Ray. Ours is going to be like Charlie, Carly, mm-hmm. Troy, and Sierra. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> you know. I'm having a funny thought of like, you know how our parents go and see like The Who, but yeah. like it's easy for like old men who play guitars to just kind of keep doing that like what is charlie gonna do like she's gonna be performing vroom vroom in a bikini at like 80 years old i'll be there fantastic (laughs) Cher can do it fine great but like carly on the other hand different than charlie who's a little bit more active on the stage carly can do this as long as she for sure she's not she's not doing jumping jacks she's not doing you know dance numbers also to argue like taylor's not doing dance numbers dua lipa's not doing dance numbers our big pop girls aren't out here doing splits right and let's just be clear that the less dancing taylor does the better i think that's what i'm saying i don't want to see these girls try and dance like no it's true save it it's fine you're doing a great job you don't need to do these big big things unless you genuinely love dancing and you're just not that good at it then I respect you that's fine I also feel that way about myself (laughs) it's part of the it's part of the switch in pop music which is that like there just used to be a very specific way that you were a pop star and I think that this is a great way for us to conclude the conversation about Carly which is that there used to be there was what I like to call like a Jacksonian mold of being a pop star like you had it was a very specific thing you performed in a very specific way you danced you were this you know larger than life figure and mm-hmm. I think Carly represents represents one element of the way that that has completely blown to smithereens to be, you don't have to be Britney Spears to release Britney Spears music you don't have to be right. this triple threat right in fact it's better if you're not to release music right. and I think Carly. There's just there's so many of them. Yeah. There's so many of them out there. It's like when you when you said the Britney Spears thing, it triggered me to think about Rina Sawayama. It's like oh, someone that's like so making good. Britney homage music, and again is just in that same space that Carly has helped carve out. She Carly really is 
one of the early adopters of this very particular right. space. And, and only we, legacy. only we who were 13 and then 1999 feel like pop stars have to be a certain way. And we're so right. angry, quote unquote, when they're not number one on the charts or whatever. We are disappointed, but I don't think any of the newer generations or people who are younger than us or the way that the music industry is now, no one see, no one is saying that. No one is like, no. not other people aren't saying like, why isn't Rena? I love her music. Why isn't she number one? It's like, right. that's not really, that really shouldn't be the mindset anymore because Rena's not going to be number one. That's very rare. Do you know what I mean? Well, and- in a post Carly universe, I think we've stopped expecting that. Like, Carly has made it possible for someone like Rena to make the kind of music she makes and not be a chart well, success. And so when we call people flops, it's out of love. It, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, Lindsay. Exactly. I mean, how else could we end the podcast better than that? That is literally the exact point. The, we love our fucking flops, man. Right, That's like, the I thing. love my flops. That's what I'm saying. Be, forever. Right. Like being a flop is literally the best possible thing you can be in pop music these days. <laughs> and Carly Rae Jepsen is the reason. She's the mother. Okay. That's the end right. of the conversation. Right. I'm not even, I wouldn't even deal with you if if you I love my flops if you were if I didn't like you you wouldn't even be called a flop you just would not be called I would not call upon you literally if you're not a flop we would not even call you maybe okay I'm sorry for that joke (laughs) I'm sorry for all of it but that was just the best possible way for us to end this conversation Lindsay thank you so much for being here from one jet friend to another I'll do anything for I'll do anything for the community and the community thanks you and loves you Right, the judgment is rendered and uncontroversially Carly Rae Jepsen is in tier five and not only that she is the emblematic tier five niche legend uh if we're ever going to make a placard of tier five niche legends Carly's face with her sword is going squarely in the middle of that and we love her for that that is Carly has redefined what it means to be a pop star and has given us the cult hero that pop fans have always needed. So we love Carly and I love Lindsay Weber. Thank you so much for joining me. She's been invaluable to me in helping me put this podcast together. Very, very helpful having a podcast legend on speed dial. So thank you to Lindsay. I hope she'll come back for a Rita Ora episode. Of course, how could we do that without her? If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit subscribe, hit five stars leave me a rating leave me a review let me know who you want us to have on the podcast next what artists do you want to see us feature head over to instagram we're at pop pantheon pod we're on twitter at pop pantheon pod i'm on twitter and instagram at dj l-o-u-i-e-x-i-b i tweet all kinds of bullshit about pop stars all day if you can't get enough of this and of course Every Friday night on twitch.tv slash DJ Louie XIV, I throw a super fun pop music party with lots of great people in the chat and we play so much Carly. So if you're a fucking jet friend and you're looking for a space, honey, I got it for you. Twitch.tv slash DJ Louie XIV, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Twitch. And uh, yeah, that's it, baby. I'll see you for next episode and I wish you a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. Change, but not for me.